seeds, some corn oil, some corn. Where do you get baby oil? Now, do you know what the question is? Yep, where do you get baby oil? Exactly. <laughs> do you have an answer? I'm not as stupid as you think. <laughs> I'm still want to know about the answer. Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe whoever answers about the alligator gallbladders might know. <laughs> I was seeing you get your computer back up, look him up. Uh, it was rather interesting to read, but um, you know, I remember seeing him when I was a kid. I was just thinking, uh, some of these professional athletes, I think some of the professional, guess how many calories they might eat in a day? Oh, thousands. I don't know, but it's a bunch. I've seen some 7,000 calories a day. Mm. I would have gone as high as 10,000 for some man, of the pro- activities that these people yeah, are in. Yeah. Because the average male will eat 2,500 calories doing just normal everyday stuff. Right. So that thing you, you had uh, a few weeks ago about, uh, I think it was Diamond Jim Brady, mm-hmm. what he would eat. Oh, I mean, yeah. that was incredible. I'm a man. Yes. He'd eat 7,000 in a meal. Yeah, and he wasn't no athlete. Uh, no. They, I mean, his Olympic event was getting food down. 
Yeah, exactly. Gee, Willick. Oh, well. We'll talk to y'all later. Okay, thanks. All right, Hollywood. Take care. Uh, hey, I tell you, family's up and awake. Family is up and awake. So am I. I'm a, I'm awake this week. Last week I was... You were hitting the wall. Off. Yeah, you hit the wall there at the end. Oh, my goodness. I bammed right up against it. But yeah. I'm all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this week, so somebody better keep calling. Weigh that tail, Patricia. Yeah, right. And my ears. I have to wiggle my ears, too. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. So I've got some stuff. What do you got? What do you got? Uh, and what? for Ron... And you had stuff, uh, and you had stuff you wanted to go over with me 25, 30 minutes ago, but the I family know. calling. No, and I, I'm still doing it right now, and I'm doing this part. I can save all the rest for next week, but I want people to be ready. So, I have information about yes. birthdays. Because next weekend is Walden's birthday. My birthday? Yeah, and Ron's birthday is on Monday. Yep. Yep. Too cool. Yep, the birthday kids are running loose. The birthday kids are loose. So, I wanted you to know that, let me see what I can do here. Every once in a while, my, my program gets a little screwy. Here we go. Okay. About 4,000 years ago, King Pharaoh used to celebrate his birthday by giving a feast to his court followers. So we know that celebrating a birthday is at least 4,000 years old. Okay. Okay. King Herod was said to have celebrated his birthday by treating lords, high captains, and special friends to a special supper party in Galilee. Yeah. Having his special supper party. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we've got some history of the symbols. The tradition of the birthday cake was started by the early Greeks, who used to take round or moon-shaped cake to the temple of Athens, of, of, I'm sorry, Ar- Artemis, who was the goddess of the moon. And people believe that the custom of the cake, lighting the candles, mimicked the moon, and therefore that's where the birthday candles came from. Okay. All the way from the Greeks, way back, 4,000 mm-hmm. years ago. Okay. Okay, now what else do we have? Some history of birthday candles. Now, it says, this is something different. The Greeks, um, what I just said about the Greeks. Now, the tradition of lighting candles for birthdays continued in Europe, where candles were sometimes kept burning all day on a birthday, on a person's birthday cake. So hopefully like wax on a cake. Yeah. Well, actually, it was all day on the person's birthday, not necessarily the cake. But it was partly as a celebration and partly to ward off evil spirits. Mm. So as long as you keep your candles burning, everything is very cool. That's true. Extinguishing the flame. Traditionally, it was believed that blowing out candles indicated one's prayers to the gods. The practice of making a silent wish, then attempting to blow out all the candles so the wish might be granted, evolved from this particular idea. Mm -hmm. All right, now, here's the bad one. Some cultures believe it is bad luck to blow out the candles if you do it before the evening meal is eaten. So you have to do it for dessert. Okay. Okay? Okay. Uh, what else do we have here? The number of candles. Let's see. Da, 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 da. I didn't read this part. Third birthday would go. Da, da, da. That doesn't look interesting. Oh, 
Sometimes a representative number is used, oh, such as the number eight for 80. You can't blow out 80 candles without burning your hair. <laughs> okay, let me see. I could read the rest of them for next week, but I wanted you to know that we have a birthday coming up next week, and Ron has a birthday coming up on Monday. And if anybody else in our family has a birthday this week, please let us know. Let us know. And we'll sing happy birthday to everybody. That's true. And actually, yeah. my birthday's not... It's still, we'll still have a show before my birthday, so we'll be good. Yeah. We'll be good. We'll be good. Yeah. So next weekend, Walden is going to be a year older... And he's coming up on 75. I know. I'm coming up on 79. Mm. I can be 78 for a while longer. Well, we could get cut it in half and go with 39. Oh, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could live with that. You think you could be 39 forever? Forever. Yeah, I think you could. I think I could. Yeah. Well, <laughs> probably, you know. We could vote on what Patricia birthday age should really be. Yeah, I, th I say 21. You're so cool to me. 21. See, now you're going to give away my secret. I know, but I think you should be 21 forever. Yeah, I can I can live with that. You, could you live with that? Yeah, I could live. Yeah, and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Now, see, you told everybody I was 21. I know. Well, Ron got you at 79. Yeah, I I'm somewhere between 21 and <laughs> This is good. This is good. We've got our bases covered here. Terrific. What do you got? I'll do the baseball question first. Okay. Uh, let me see. Um, yeah, I only had one. I thought I had two. Okay. Who are Maddie, Philippe, and Jesus? They were the Lou brothers. Yeah. All right. This is good. Now, this is really interesting, I thought. The Alou brothers played for the same team at the same time, and all of them played the outfield with this team. What was the team? Mm. Was it the, the Giants? Yes, it was. Ah. 1963. The Alou brothers also set a world record. Do you know what the record was? Probably the most basic by combined brother combination. Well, you're pretty close. And you... You're right on target that uh -huh. it was an aggregate number uh -huh. here. It's it's the most games in which brothers played. So it didn't have to be all three of them together but and, 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 as brothers. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of them where all three of them played. But the total number of games that the Alou brothers played where there was at least two brothers in the game was 5,129. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And they were nice people. Well, they were. They are, but... You know, I mean, I mean, they they just loved the game, and the, they did good. So baseball was very, very good to me. Say what? There's the old expression was baseball was very, very good to me. Very, very good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody 
Yeah, baseball was always very, very good. Somebody out there, it was very, very bad, but we never heard from that person. Mm-mm. Nope. No. Okay, so I have a brain teaser for you. What do you got? This is everybody's last chance now, 714-545-2071. I think Patricia calling the party. The, the, she's going to quote the door on the party here pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're up making breakfast and you can share some sausage uh-huh. and eggs, uh-huh. that would be fine. Or bacon and eggs would be good, too. Okay, here's, here is your question. This is your brain teaser. I'm all yours. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what, what did you eat at the end of this? You mm-hmm. throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What did you eat? Okay, say that again. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. This is a food. Yep, I'm yep. About. I'm thinking. Say what? I'm thinking here. Go oh, ahead. Okay, I thought you said bacon. I was going to have to get bacon. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What do you eat when you do that? So it, all that's supposed to mean one food? An apple. You don't cook an apple. My mom does. You eat the outside and cook the inside, then my- you eat the outside and throw away the inside. Well, my first, you know what my first guess was? Then I got thinking, I got, I got confused. An egg. You know, that was my first guess, too. See, you know, we're meant to be together, Patricia. Uh, and then I got down to the other, and I thought, how do you eat the outside of an egg? I know. So, and I crossed that one up. But that was the first thing I thought of, too. She would both be together. Yeah. But, yeah. Wait. And I, I cannot tell a lie. I had to look at the answer for this one. Okay. See, I don't ask you anything that I haven't been able to answer I myself. But yeah. But this was too good to pass. This was too good to pass. You give up? Yep. All right. It's an ear of corn. You peel it and throw away the outside. Yeah. So that means that when you throw it in yeah. the water or, or you're cooking the inside. Then you're cooking, the, you're eating the outside and throw away the inside. That's very good. Yeah. That's very the... good. Isn't that with a cop, not the husband? That was a smart bunny rabbit who figured that, that question yeah, out. Yeah, that was a very good question, mm-hmm. and I'm embarrassed, too, because I didn't know the answer. <laughs> and I, too, said it should be an egg or a egg, as some people would say. The incredible edible egg. Whoever came uh, up with that uh, advertising slogan did a great job. Yep, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Well, I'm going to say, oh, here's a good one. In 1949, Walter and John Houston did something that Mm -hmm. was the first of everything. What did they do as a first? They were were the movie uh, Treasure Share Monterey that Walter won the Oscar. John directed him for the Oscar, and maybe he won the Oscar for directors. That is exactly right. Jeez. Both of them worked on the same movie, and both of them won an Oscar. How about that? Walter Houston won for the best actor in a supporting role. Mm-hmm. Darling Humphrey Bogart, and I think Frank Lovejoy was in that. He was, that was the one he was in, or that I should remember, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Houston won the Oscar for best director right. and best writing. John's daughter, Angela Houston, who's been a good actress herself, been trying to hunt her down, too. But anyway, the Houston family is pretty legendary. The Houston family. And you got it. Gosh darn it. I'm feeling good that I stuck you on the 
what did I stick you on? <laughs> oh, the great guilty yeah, Hal Perry, how he started in radio with the Spanish you serenader. Are, you are so good. Oh, no, I'm not. Good thing. I, but I want you to say it anyway. Good thing I love my adorable. Oh, yes, and yeah. lovable. You are so lovable. Oh, I'm glad. I think because it is 6.18 in the morning, it's time for us to say good night or good morning, depending on where people are. It's time for you and I to go have breakfast. It is time for you and me to go have breakfast. All right. Let's fire up the music. We'll turn back to the automation system, and we'll be back next week. We will be back next week. Thank you for being with us, everybody. You are just terrific. You have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Well, actually, I'll see you on Sunday. Love you all. That's right. But we'll see you next week. That's right. The couple of us will be there. (laughs) Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. call it a day. They've burst your pretty balloon and taken the moon away. It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind. The piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim. You danced and dreamed through the night. It seemed to be right. Just be. The party's over It's all over My friend
can thrill me any more. Faraway trips, seagoing ships, not half as thrilling as touching your lips. Nothing that can quite fulfill me any Broadway shows, evening clothes, you have more glamour than any of those. Once I used to dream of Paris in the spring the fun it would be now I can see that's not for me nothing in the world excites me Championship fight, not as exciting as holding you tight. Nothing that I do ignites me. And starry skies, both of your eyes don't have the sparkle I see in your eyes. Don't know what to say, don't mean to be blase, but darling, it's true. is 80 miles south of the English coastal town of New Haven. German naval forces off the coast are engaged in a battle with enemy landing craft, the broadcast said. The German news agency said the Allied invasion operations began with the landing of airborne troops in the area of the mouth of the Seine River. I repeat, however, that there is no Allied confirmation of this claim. We return you now to your regular scheduled broadcast.
Kitchen-style goodies tonight. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah, I've got some presidential information, and he just loves the presidents. <laughs> so we're going to have some fun. Some of the screwy campaign slogans that they had, so <laughs> it should be fun. That would be, that's sure right down my alley. I know it You know is. what I was doing tonight, actually? What? Um, looking at the history of presidential libraries. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and I did not know when did it actually became official and who started it. It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt in, in 1939, during the end of his second term, uh-huh. decided to donate his papers to the federal government. Because in the past, anything in the White House, was, 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 once the president left, was considered private papers. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. I, I always thought it was, you know, be government document documentation. Yeah. But uh, until and it, they had they had a ruling in the um in the for, in the uh, late forties mid fifties, he decided to make the public. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, when you hear all the stuff that that Kennedy, for instance, taped, and you know, you hear these tapes coming out later. I mean, it's really kind of a surprise, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, uh... And also, yeah, I don't know, more people knew, knew that Roosevelt even recorded co- private conversation. Yeah, and you would think that would have been relatively difficult. You, know, what, you would think so. With the, you know... With that, the, the technology of that time. Of course, you know, the interesting question about Roosevelt is, did he or did he not know about Pearl Harbor? Mm-hmm. And, yes. of course, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it turns out that he, that he did. He, he did know. Well, it's interesting to listen to the newscast to really see how much uh, the Japanese question was on people's mind leading up to that period. Well, see, what we didn't realize that, you know, the, the American people probably didn't even know that we had embargoed their oil and that Correct. we were doing some stuff, you know, to try to push them into doing something, you know, yeah. because we wanted that to happen. And... You know, I mean, it's 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 a it's kind of a, the conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. have a, a field day, but you know, some of these people have seen stuff, you know, that that proves that he actually thought that it was going to happen earlier than it did, and you know, and I mean, to me, I mean, if you know, the the way that the American public was. I mean, and the young men that, that were killed in this, and I mean, you know, mm-hmm. what their lives were worth. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's, it's, it, if, if he knew, and like I said, I think the preponderance of information suggests that he did know that he could sacrifice our men for mm-hmm. such, uh, you know, just to get us into war. Even though that did you know, ultimately improve our economy and and whatever mm-hmm. uh, is to me just uh, a wanton, uh, you know, sure. destruction that sure. you know. I don't know that he, you know, will should will or should be forgiven for. Definitely different uh, different angle. And I know a lot of people ho- hold that viewpoint. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. So, so you're going to be talking about the libraries. I, I know that um, a, a lot of people have, um, you know, it's become such a, a big thing uh, lately with Reagan's and, yep. I, and I guess even 
George? Right. Every president from Hoover on have a presidential library. Right. Um, the interesting thing, not all the presidential libraries are run by the National Archives. Uh, there are five that are not. Um, Thirteen are, five are not. And, for example, Abe Lincoln's library is run by the state of Illinois. The, gov the federal government has no say in the Abe Lincoln Library. So it's interesting uh, just looking some things up because, just, you know, me being such a political nut, I just sort of, history nut, I just sort of got thinking about that tonight. And I hope the, the state's keeping it well repaired. I bet they, hopefully they are. Because, you know, the with the state of, of the economy in all the states, sure. you know, they're having less and less money to do that kind of thing. Right. And so, you know, we hope that we're not going to lose, you know, some national treasures because of those kinds of things. I would think so. I would think for Abe Lincoln, I would think there would be, if, if the word ever got out, there would be private donation to make sure that I would. You, yes, you yeah. would certainly. For uh, yeah. him, I would think so. A lot of passionate people was what I was going to say. Oh, for sure. Especially, especially between, between, say, Abe Lincoln and, say, George Washington yeah. and, the, you know. The real obvious, you know, really important ones that America seems to like better than, you know what I mean? It's like right. there's there's enough distance that we can we can love them for what they did and who they were and right. Um, it's a little bit easier. You're right, and but I I don't think anyone would allow these treasures to slip away from us. No, certainly not knowingly. No. But I mean, you know, the way to keep them. Yeah, there's there's got to be things that that are done to to keep all that stuff mm -hmm. in good repair. Indeed. Anyway, guys, I've taken up much too much of your time. Oh no! Thanks for calling in. Thanks for um, calling, Kurt, and um, I I hope you have a better week coming. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, but I will keep you posted, good. and hopefully, hopefully, I will be able to tell you that. You know that it's good news that I'm still in remission and and all that. But I will keep right. you posted. Well, you'll be in our thoughts. Okay. And if that well, I appreciate it, and I will be listening. Okay. We'll okay. see you later. Thanks a lot. All right, Bye. Great. Thank you. And there we go. 714-545-2071. I guess we're up and running. We are up and running. And and part of the down and, and unrunning, yeah. I was not with us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was. You were over there. Hello there. Hello, Walden. Hello, uh, Patricia. Hello, Jim. And how are you doing tonight? Well, you are on the air. Hooray! Hooray! No, no announcement. Live 365. You know, please try later. None of that stuff. Okay, good. 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 That's so good. So that, that's working. That's good. I'm going to mention to your previous caller, I know that, uh, of course, they were on cassette for years. Ted Davenport had the eternal light on cassette. Yep, that's true. I don't know now, you know, what, I mean, of course, he, he, he just, you, you, uh, you, you, he doesn't have them in his online catalog, but I believe he has them on his CD catalog, you right. know, his hard, you know, hard disk catalog. And, but I think they're probably the same ones, because I think his only go to about 68, mm -hmm. if I remember right. You always remember, right? <laughs> now, Jim, do you remember the series when it was running from I do. mid seventy to eighty? I don't remember. Oh, so it was hard to find because you, I have to tell you, as as you as we've discussed before with uh, Dennis, even NBC radio after the nineteen mid sixties, it was increasingly hard to find NBC radio stations that carried you know the full lineup of programs. Yeah. 
the Eternal Light was one of many programs that NBC had on Sunday. They had a number of religious programs. Uh, the Eternal Light was the only drama, but uh, Billy Graham's Hour of Decision, the National Radio Pulpit, the Catholic Hour, and a, and, a, and a number of programs were carried by the NBC radio network. But the problem was getting affiliates to clear them. I do know that in 1981 and two. KFBK in Sacramento carried the Eternal Light on Sunday mornings at 8.30. Uh, now, what was interesting was in the winter, fall and winter, they did drama, and in the summer it was basically discussion programs, like about Jewish history or about the Bible in modern society, and they were like discussions with uh, experts in the field. There weren't a lot of dramas in the summer each year. But uh, I didn't know it lasted till 84 because... After about 82, I don't think KFBK carried it. You know, they if they could put an infomercial on or a sports talk show with more commercials, they would replace any show. Right, right. As Patricia uh, said, that's the S word. That she yes, yes. Radio, you know, it's it was one of the frustrating things about listening to radio in the 80s. That's why, for the most part, I have little interest in post-1975 radio, in part because so... There, there may have been a few good programs, but they were so hard to hear with stations not, not carrying them. And I, I guess that's probably why NBC probably eventually dropped it, is probably they weren't getting it cleared on enough stations. I can remember WMAQ in Chicago carried it at least till I left there in the late 70s. But, they, but, but here's what they did. They ran it at 5.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. Not exactly a... <laughs> not a hotbed of... Uh... Yeah, not exactly a time when people would get up to listen. Well, uh, getting up to meditate at 5.30 in the morning is cool. <laughs> it, never, it never made sense to me. I mean, I mean, I, I guess it made sense from, a, from an economic, I mean, from, a, from an advertising, you know, they figure no one's listening and we can make more money later in the day by doing, you know, sports or uh, music or commercials. But, but if, they, if they wanted an audience, you know... <laughs> It does, it, it, and it doesn't, you know, even today, a lot of your good programs, those programs are on at such an ungodly hour to listen to them. Uh, was this California? No, I was in Chicago when that was still carried. So people who were farther west in the next two time zones were even in worse shape than 5.30 in the morning. Right, like if, you, if you were lucky enough, if you could get WMAQ out here in those days, you could, because, you know, the clear channels were more... Huh? controlled than they are now. You, you would have to hear it at 3.30 in the morning, you know, Pacific time. We have to, not me. <laughs> AFI, I don't know, maybe your previous caller might know that, or one of your callers might know. I don't know at what point in the mid to late 70s KFI even dropped their NBC affiliation. They huh. were NBC for years and years and years. My guess probably 74, who knows. Well, I do know in 75, when I visited my parents, they were already an affiliate of the ABC Entertainment Network. Mm -hmm. So at some point in 74 or 5, I guess it must have been, is when they dropped NBC. You know, for a while, NBC in L.A. was even on a country music FM station. They carried news on the hour, like at 15 minutes after the hour, or 10 after. And what was funny is when NBC, like, for example, carried the football games on New Year's Day, this station in L.A., this country music station, it was computerized. 
And they would not know that a football game was being fed down the network, apparently. So when the news on the hour time came on a tape-delayed basis, you'd hear five minutes of the football game. <laughs> For whatever reason, you know, the computer ran it like that. But uh, NBC, after after 74, had a very dicey history in L.A. We, uh, you might remember, Walden would remember, and I know Frank knows this, that you did have an attempt to revive NBC on that station at 900 on the dial in the... Uh, early night was it 89, 90 around that period? Uh-huh. I know we're here in the last two years. I've been hearing some NBC news. You know, top of the hour. Well, actually, the top of the hour is really five minutes before the forty hour for one minute. Yeah, that, that's what it's down to. You know, it's part of the Westwood One conglomerate. Yeah. And uh, it's a, under that same conglomerate. You have CNN. And you have CBS. And that's pretty much. But you don't have a lot of. Uh, uh, stations that even carry the one minute of NBC news. No one around here does anyway. But there was a notable attempt uh, on that one at 900 because I remember Don Pardo even did the announcements for the station. It was a, it was sort of a big band type of. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, there's really not that many stations that even carry news at all. Not even a, a top of the hour newscast. You're right. Very Thank few. You know, even their public affairs Sunday uh, programs on Sundays aren't really required. Religious programs on non-religious stations aren't carried much on secular stations anymore. It used to be, you might remember, that stations like KFI or KNBR or wherever would devote part of their programming on Sunday to religious programs. Well, if you look at like in Dunning's book, he got a whole chapter based upon the religious station, and most of those were carried by the networks. Uh, and, oh, in Dunning's book, mm-hmm. you mean? Yeah. Yeah, he devoted, yeah, it's surprisingly, when you think about how many religious programs were carried by the networks, although many of them were not paid programs. NBC did not have paid religious programs till the 50s. They had, before then, the programs like the National Radio Pope at mm-hmm. the Eternal Light, NBC just devoted the time, mm-hmm. you know, as public service time. But starting in the 50s, NBC started carrying things like The Voice of Prophecy and The Hour of Decision, which were paid programs. ABC and Mutual often carried paid programs. Uh, CBS, to my knowledge, I don't. The only I only know of two religious programs that were ever carried on the CBS radio network in my memory. One was, and I guess you could technically call it still on Music and the Spoken Word. Mm-hmm. It's still on CBS mm-hmm. Jim- out of Salt Lake City. Jim, what was the program content of Eternal Light? It was a drama. There were dramas and discussions. Well, there were dramas. It, it, part of it dealt with Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Some of it dealt with Old Testament stories. Uh, there might be stories about, they even did stories about uh, historical figures uh, like Roger. Uh, the, the first show, I think, was called Rhode Island Refugee or something like that about Roger Williams and I guess his attitude of, of uh against religious prejudice. Generally, the drama would take place and a speaker would appear at the end of the show to comment on the show. It might be a rabbi or a professor or something to talk about the story heard. And it had a superb radio cast. Just about anybody who was anybody in New York radio was in the show. Ralph Bell, Leon Janney, anyone who listened to talking books from from the generation like in the 50s and 60s would know a lot of these names. Ralph Bell, Norman Rose, Leon Janney, uh, I Sorrell. And more widely, uh, more, more widely um, accessible. Huh? It, it's really sad that, that it didn't have 
the breadth of audience that something of that caliber should have had. Well, you know, it might have, it might have in the 40s and early 50s. Of course, when television yeah, I think came NBC along, it. everybody left radio. I mean, it, it's one of the tragedies to me is I still can't grasp why the public fell so in love with television that they just totally abandoned radio. But even there was a television version of The Eternal Light, I believe. I don't know much about the television history of the program, but I understand there was a television version even. But it was a uh, it was a high quality show, and, and and just like the Christian drama, the greatest story ever told, was another very high quality program. And you know, thing got me about that, and the sponsor was what uh, Goodyear, right? Right, and they and didn't they know. never ran commercial. They just say uh, Goodyear presents. The greatest story ever told, and no commercial spots. Right, it was, and just a simple tagline at the beginning and end. Yeah, that's it. They avoided preaching. The stories pretty much spoke for themselves. Mm-hmm. They would take a parable of Christ, mm-hmm. or they would take a, a like one of the episodes I have is called The Lost Coin, mm-hmm. and they would adapt it. it they, the story was set in the time in which he lived, in biblical times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was the only one, Christ was the only one, whose voice was not dramatized. I mean, what I mean by not dramatized, his only quotes were his actual quotes, is what I mean. Uh, the other characters, the apostles and stuff, you know, the dialogue would be put in, you know, for the for dramatic purposes. But it had a choir. It was a uh, very ambitious show, and it lasted from 47, which was, you know, quite a long run on ABC. And it ran Sunday evenings. It was, I understand, it was used in church work and and uh, Sunday schools used the stories, and it was a, it was a good show. And, and I was just thinking, a couple during the, during the soaps, uh, CBS had the one with Brett Morrison. I'm trying to think of the name of that one. Light of the World. Light of the World. And I don't know if they ever had a sponsor. That was a General Mills, a 15-minute daily, story, you know, based upon the Bible. And then NBC is also part of General Mills, would devote, especially during the war, would devote uh, to the great hymns sponsored by General Mills. Will you hang on just a moment, please? Sure. Go I'm right not ahead. going away. I just have to deal with this. Okay, go ahead. But it's interesting to see, you know, that's the one thing, you know, everybody knows I'm getting close to, we're getting close to D-Day, the anniversary of D-Day coming up here Monday, and which would have been 67 years ago. NBC when they preempted all programming, on the top of the hour, they had somebody... A, you know, sometimes... They had a, a person from a different faith every hour give open up with a word of prayer. What was that again? I missed... I was talking about NBC, when D-Day happened, oh. had a, a different person open up with a word of prayer... Uh, over the full network for 40 straight hours. I do not, I guess when I hear the NBC uh, recordings, I'll, I'll take note of that. Yeah. I never I never realized that. Yeah. And of course, NBC also had, during that General Mills soap hour, uh, that several days each week, they had that 15-minute show called Hymns of All Churches. That's right. I would point that out. You know, it's amazing. They would ha- and, then, uh, and then I think they had, um, Rosa Real talked about, she used to back up uh, a famous singer. That's all he did was sing hymns. Um, well, Ed McConnell, I understand, before he was Buster Brown, or maybe at the same time even, he had a he had a uh, hymn show, as I understand. Yeah, I think over WOWR Cincinnati, I think. So, so, the, so it was very um, religion at one time played a very important part in 
commercial or secular radio. Mm-hmm. And today, of course, it's mainly on stations that strictly specialize in that format. And it's broadcasting, yeah. Right, it's not, uh, it's not on the, to my, uh, although Music and the Spoken Word still, I understand, has a, it was put into the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago last year. Hmm. So it's still running, and of course, interesting about that show is at the end of each episode, or episode, at the end of each broadcast, he will say, this has been the 3,150 or whatever number they're on now. Mm-hmm. It's been going since 1929. Right. So that's quite a, uh. Quite a run. Let's see now. Where are the oldest radio shows? Is it, is it is it still the Grand Ole Opry, the oldest? It's one of three, according to Bill. That show you carry the Retro Valley. Retro Valley is, is, is one of the three oldest. So I assume the other two are Music and the Spoken Word and, and the Grand Ole Opry. Grand Ole Opry, but we've been around since twenty-five or something. Well, of course, the other thing about and and. companies in financial trouble. Is it? It is so bad that they have, they're moving out of Lincoln Center. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a sad commentary. That's a very sad commentary. They think uh, um, a culture uh, that people adore and love after 68 years can, just cannot pay the bills. Well, the other thing is, you know, you know, classical music is having one difficult time on commercial radio. We lost our our station, KDFC, up here that carried classical music for years. The new owners wanted to put another format on that frequency. Fortunately, there, some frequencies became available from one of the college stations, and now KDFC is listener-supported. And, of course, the big question will be, will enough listeners support it to keep the station viable? What are different uh, public radio station playing, I mean, here in L.A., we got six of them, so we have, we got jazz, we have classical music. Patricia, you have any idea, is any, you have any public, you know, radio stations that are playing any format in Florida? one in my area, and it comes out of the university, um, Florida Gulf Coast University. Mm Mm-hmm which is part of the state university system. And it's got multiple formats. Okay. Um, it, it has music and news and commentary. Um, but we don't have six. <laughs> you don't have six. What about you up there? We have, well, we have, we have one public, we have about two public stations that carry new, you know, the regular NPR news feed, Sacramento and San Francisco, and actually two in San Francisco. One is KQED, which is the sister station of the public television station. We have a board of education station. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Jim. You can take hang that. on just a Go minute. Hang on. This is the USA. I'm Warren. That's Patricia. And over there's Jim. And Walden... So sometimes it's easier in the... You know, sometimes it was easier in the days when you just had one phone line. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, I know. I, I understand that part. Anyway, um, we have KQED, which is the regular public radio news station. We have KALW, which is a board of education station that carries some NPR programs. We have a jazz station in San Mateo, KCSM, <laughs> and we have a uh, station in Sacramento that's that's NPR, and we have a station in Sacramento that's a public radio station that's classical, mm-hmm. and we have, the, of course, the new situation with KDFC, which is classical. We have at least four or five religious stations on the radio. Four, three of them, I think, are commercial. One's non-commercial, you know, listener-supported, mm-hmm. so... Well, I know in Dallas, when I go stay with Bill and Kim, their classical music station is run by the city. 
Is it? Um, and I was just thinking, time when I go go back to FOTR and YC, you know, the, the radio station back there that is put together by the by the city. So I guess there are some of the major cities do run their own radio station. WQXR in New York still exists on 15, whatever. They had AM and FM. They were classical for years, and the New York Times ran it. I don't remember them at all. Times have been back there. Okay, so so uh, the radio world is, has certainly changed mm-hmm. in, in that regard. It has changed. I mean, it, and, 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 I, and I regret to say, not for the better. I mean, I just, I hate, and it's not, and it has nothing to do with ideology or anything. It's just, except for stations like you at Yesterday USA and others, over the air commercial radio, I find just increasingly boring. I mean, uh, I know it's probably commercially viable, but like we've got four sports stations in the Bay Area. I just can't imagine, and maybe I'm missing something. I just can't imagine sports interest being so high that you would need four states. Well, you know why? Because I, I saw some economic studies. Huh? It, sports talk radio, the demographic it gets, it's the men that, that, that 35 to yeah. 49 eight bracket, it's the highest percentage of men, and for advertisers, it's, it's target marketing. I never dreamed years ago that, you know, I knew listening to games I could understand. But I never could understand people just talking about sports for endless hours. But I guess, I guess it's, I guess people like it. I guess. Oh my goodness, Jim. <laughs> I mean, um, they do. Most of the hosts I hear who do sports talk, they they you know, they remind me of the guy, and they remind me of the guys you always hear talking about sports in bars where they're practically brawling hosts. <laughs> That's exactly right. I haven't been in a bar recently. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing you would pick. You could picture happening in a bar. Uh huh. I, I understand what you're saying. So, well, are you in the market for a question tonight? I know I've got one. You okay, no, but you can okay. give the prize to the next person. Well, no, no, no. We have your weekly blondie question. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not gonna do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you ask me about, if you ask me about. Okay. Now, what? All right. Here's my. Here's your weekly. Here's your weekly blondie question. All right. What's inside of a Dagwood sandwich? Meat and bread. Meat. Cheese, meat and cheese, right? I think the answer is everything. <laughs> everything, okay. It's, it's, it's the definition of a Dagwood sandwich. So, well, You I'm, got that one right, Kim. Good for you. You know, we one thing for Blondie. The next time... And, the I, next, like I, and I know Penny Singleton was one of the people that played her. The next, the next batch of Blondie shows comes available. We'll send them on, on your way. Kim, I wasn't going to do that to you. Well, you know, if, if you, you know, and I'm sure there are millions, I'm sure there are millions and more people that like the show. I wasn't going to do to you. It was not my fault. It's not my fault. I am innocent. Well, I know. I mean, uh... It's like, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I guess it's, it's, it, the comic, is the comic still being published? Uh-huh. So I guess people are still reading it. Uh-huh. And you don't have to like it. I mean, there, there are some things I'm an absolute heretic about. <laughs> I know there are any radio shows that you're not, I know there are radio shows that you're not a fan of either, right? I mean, they could probably name ten that you're, five or ten that you're not a fan of. Sure, and they're ones that are darlings for the most part among people in, uh, interested in old-time radio. Well, I know, for example, I know for a fact that, and it's not a criticism, we all like different things, you said you're not a Dragnet fan. I am not a Dragnet fan, and I'm not a Whistler fan. Now, those are two really fine shows. They're extremely well-written. They were superbly performed, but they're just not to my my ears liking. 
or or well, I and I guess, but 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 uh, did, did you like things like oh, did you like the anthology series like Escape and Suspense? Suspense, not particularly. Escape, I just discovered about six months ago, and I'm listening to them occasionally, and they are really good. Right, they are. Leonard Maltin, I know, said that Escape was his favorite show. I asked him once it does. We're back dinner. What's interesting to me, anyway, the first Escape I listened to had, it, it was set at sea, and Frank Lovejoy was the first mate for a captain who was a crazy person who actually made the right decisions to get them into port, but was a crazy person while he was out on the water in terms of his decisions. And Frank Lovejoy is somebody who is also not on... I mean, people love Frank Lovejoy. You mentioned you weren't a Night night Beat fan, right? In part because... I do not listen to Night Beat because Frank Lovejoy, just his voice, his delivery as as a performer, it's just not to my liking. And at the same time, the first escape that I heard had Frank Lovejoy as the first mate, and he was wonderful. So I'm feeling very good that I'm not prejudiced against Frank Lovejoy, that it really is Nightbeat, that uh, the role he plays in Nightbeat, that is probably the one that I'm not... And of course, you've mentioned, and of course, there were other things that Jack Webb did that you enjoyed very much. Oh, loved, oh, I love Pat Novak, I love Jeff Reagan, Pete Kelly's Blues, um, Johnny Madero. He was so good in them, but he was so different in them. Right. So the, the characters he played, why, and you know, there was a, there's a seriousness in the Dragnet series that it, it, it focuses on real. I mean, legitimate, when I say real, not very, real human hurts. And that's very difficult to listen to sometimes. Well, I guess you said, like, I think you t- once when someone was discussing this with you in a, on an earlier conversation, you said something like, you can read about that in the headlines of your newspapers every day, like these, these people, I won't get too political here, but like these people up here that got sentenced the other day for, you know, hard hurting that girl. Uh-huh. Uh, th- those are the kind of people they had to deal with on shows like, not 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 those two types, but I mean the type of crimes. Yeah. And when Dragnet first came out, not when it first came out, uh, radio and television, it gave behind-the-scenes information and, le- and accurate looks at what it was like to solve a case in a police department. They didn't have... An, Transparency is the word of the century this this year. Anyway, it's the word of the year or the word of the 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 twenty. You know where what I'm saying. It also didn't have the cliches. Yeah, it is in word. Oh, like gangbusters had. I mean, it avoid for the most part it avoided gunplay and chases and sirens. I mean, they were occasionally it happened, but for the most part it was procedural. It we didn't know at the time Dragnet was playing exactly what went on in police circles. It was behind closed doors. You didn't know. You knew that the policemen were out on the street. You knew that the cop walked a beat. You knew that they were in patrol cars and they would pick you up if you had done something very bad. But you didn't know what went on inside a police department until Jack Webb developed Dragnet. Right. And, and, the other, and, and, and of course, and then there were other shows that imitated it, some better than others. This is true. But I you, had, you know, some, some like the lineup and some don't. Some like Broadway is my beat and some don't. But the great appeal of Dragnet was because it was showing us something that we had no access to, we didn't know anything about. And 
we didn't know enough when those shows were running to realize that this was the stuff we were really reading about in the headlines. And it wasn't so much the headlines, it was what was going on behind the scenes. Right, and it was, and, he, and, he, and the authenticity, the, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, and, and also the thing that made his show really unique, when you think about it, was it wasn't always murder each week. It could be burglaries, it could be check forging, crimes that weren't necessarily the most glamorous, when I say glamorous, you know, I mean glamorous for dramatic purposes. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I think that was the buzz of it, but my eyes or my ears listening to it now are 2011 ears, and we know what goes on in police departments. We know what happens behind the scenes, even in the CIA. There, there are no more secrets. It's not like a secret peek. We're not voyeurs anymore looking that Jack Webb is allowing us to be voyeurs looking at what goes on in a police department. We know, as, just as a matter of course, we, we understand today what we didn't know then. So when I say I can read this stuff in my headlines, I can, and I know how they're being handled. I mean, we've got court TV showing us trials in progress. Right. We also have, you know, you also have, you know, TV is just glutted with police show, you know, the CSI things and the law and order things and practically nothing else in drama now on television. Um, so my frame of reference is different today from what it was when the, when the show first came out on radio and on television. So I have a different, a different viewpoint. Well, I always look at, I, I try to view programs when I listen to them in the context of the time in which they aired. Hmm. Because that's why, you know, for example, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are offended, you know, by a. Amos and Andy, but I look at it like it was a show <coughs> in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. It did not bother people. Or it bothered some people, but not. it's not like today. No, no. And, you know, it, it was entertainment. It, it was straight entertainment. But anyway, I do have a question. Okay. And I I want you to take people out of their misery, and it is an Amos and Andy question. I'll try. How about that? We came full circle. I'll try. Yeah, I know it. I know you know this. What was Andrew H. H. Brown's middle name? The H? You know, I don't remember. (laughs) I can't think of it right now. No. It was the H part. Uh-huh. I can't remember. Andrew H. Brown. Oh, Jim. <coughs> I mean, I, I can't think of it right now. What I found interesting about that show, though, when you think about it, was how, as the show became a sitcom more than a serialized story, how Amos almost became a secondary character compared to the Kingfish. Oh, indeed. Indeed. He, and for, they actually, even in the beginning, the Kingfish played a dominant role in that show. But, to, but later on, Amos would just be a, there occasionally. And most of the stories involved Andy's dealings with the Kingfish. Andy and the Kingfish. And I think you're right that Amos um, was, with the, with the cab, of course, was more visible in the earlier shows than in the later ones. He was almost a... Uh, you know, a, a second thought character, except for like the Christmas show that they had. Right, he which was is an excellent. Yellow. I still think is one of the best. One of the best. It's in my top ten Christmas shows. It is a wonderful Christmas show where he's reading and explaining the Lord's Prayer. 
uh, he's not reading, he's explaining it, uh, the Lord's Prayer to no, the, you know, and I still say, if, if I've heard different people interpret that prayer different ways. I have to put that as my be as the best, to me, and again, I've heard different versions of it, I still think that's the best interpretation I've heard. It's my favorite interpretation. Yeah, I think the simplicity of it made it universal. Because, you know, it wasn't, theo it wasn't heavy theology, you know, it was straight, you know, just uh, a straight, honest interpretation of what was being, what was being prayed. And it, it was in a way that a child could understand it, which made it, which wrapped it in a simplicity that made it wholesome for everybody. All right, I'm going to give you another question. Okay. All right, there we go. Uh, I have to make it a hard question, because you're so good. I have to make it a hard question. Um... What was the name of the character played by Ransom Sherman on Fibber McGee and Molly? <laughs> Patricia, you've, just, you've got me off guard tonight. I just... Oh, times! I don't believe this. Oh my goodness, this is like nailing walls into. <laughs> I know. I just my mind. My mind's been on a lot of. You know, we've we've been doing a lot of things up here. I'm feeling okay and everything. It's just my mind is. We've been doing a lot of things here. We've been. We've been uh, just doing things. Right now, I'm just trying to catch up. My friend, I said, I told you, sent me these two big barrels of MP3s. Uh-huh. And I've been trying to go through them a little bit at a time and hearing a show here and a show there, hear a show there, a show everywhere, a show, show. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been a fun activity. The part, the hard part is deciding, you know, what you're going to play next because mm -hmm. it's sort of a, it's a literal grab bag. Well, see, my confession is that I gave you the two hardest questions on my list because... <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a listener out there that knows the answer. Um, well, I'll give you a third one. I'll try one more time. And it's three strikes, you're out if you don't... No, no. All right, it's also a hard one, Jim. Okay. All right, Lucille Ball played in a radio show before she became Lucy Ricardo on I Love Lucy. What was it and what was her name? Uh, it was My Favorite Husband, and it was Liz Cooper. Liz Cooper, yes. Now that was a second name. They when in the earliest show, just for a handful of them, they had a different last name. Do you remember what I, it was? You know, I, I Kufuk, no, I, I, it was the same letter, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I don't remember though the letter, the name. Walden knows. Walden. Uh huh. Are you there? I'm here. I'm just thinking what it might be. Oh, you know. Do I? Of course you do. Was kind of like you know when uh, you know when the marriage before the marriage went on the air as a regular series. You know we we knew them as Liz and Ben Marriott in the series, but they had totally different names in that audition show. Yeah, they're out to confuse us for sure. Okay, Walden, what what is the name? I can't think of it. Oh yes, you do know it. Oh, Kugat. Cougat, yes. It, like yes, the yes, band leader, yes. Xavier? Yeah, yeah huh? correct, correct. Now, did you, have you had a chance, Patricia, Walden and I have discussed this, have you had a chance to hear The Marriage yet? No. It's a wonderful series with with uh, with Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin. We had, I had the author, I had the gentleman who wrote many of them on last year, Ernest Canoy, who one of the authors. Of By the, the way, that reminds me, Walden, who is the writer for Suspense you're going to be talking to? I will be looking, uh, Hank Sills. Hank Sills. Yeah, H-S-E-R-L-S, uh, -E Sills. He wrote some of the later suspenses. Diffi 2 and 55, 1 and 59, most of his credits are 
well-known military movies. He also wrote several of the Jaws movies. Okay. Um, he he is um, Ben Cooper's making this trip up to Seattle, and he and Ben are brother-in-law. So so he can come over and. Uh, you know what what show he wrote? So you can find a recording I, of I, it. I, I I give you the dates. You can probably tell me the shows. Okay. This is it, it, uh, here they are. Uh, for all those suspense fans, doo -doo -doo -doo, April 19th, 1955. Uh, what I'm going to have to do is look, what I can do is I can look up, I have several sources I can look those up on. Mm -hmm. So, okay, April 1955. Uh, October 25th, 1955. I know that one's to Not a Deadly Drug. Correct. He wrote that. And then this one, uh, somebody told me this was sort of the precursor for the TV series Sea Hound. Uh, April 26, 1959. Deep, deep is my love. Correct. So he wrote what those... Sea Hunt. Sea Hunt with the TV show... With Lloyd Bridges. With Lloyd Bridges. And he played a skin diver, and, and he played a skin diver in this suspense radio show. Right. And by the way, uh, uh, in, in Martin Graham's book, he talk, they talk, he talks about it. Or I guess, I guess one, he, someone did an... I don't know if Martin interviewed him or somebody interviewed him. Mm -hmm. And the reader that read the suspense book for me actually went into laughter. She quoted Lloyd Bridges as saying that skin diving was a lot easier on radio than it was on television. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's a great way to wind up a conversation. Yes. Well, anyway, I want to wish you both a wonderful evening. If I, uh, but, but, but as I say, uh, and I think Jerry Hendigas also has the Eternal Light, but I think they're mainly on CDs and cassettes. I don't think they're on MP3. Yeah, I don't think he converted off to MP3s yet. And I think they pretty much—they're probably the same group that goes to 68. Uh-huh. But if you're—but if the other, you know, and I—I and I don't even think the Radio Gold Index. I looked that up once with Dave Golden, and I don't think his—I think he has one or two from 69. But other than that, uh, I don't think there's any after 69. So. You know, I hope maybe they'll turn up at some point. They, they probably will. I'll, I'll check my underground caves and report back. Okay, then. Okay, Jim, thanks for... Have a wonderful evening. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. I guess we're up and running. We're taking phone calls. We are up and running. I was the one who was down and, and unrunning. Down and out. 714-545-2071. Give us a call. I have something. I have something. Would you pick me, please? Let's <clears throat> see. Everybody... You think I should pick, should acknowledge Patricia's want to be, you know, please, please uh, acknowledge in the classroom? Please. Let's see here. Important. Is it her left or right hand that's going up? Let's Always see. my right hand. Oh, that's right. All right, my dear. You are, have been acknowledged. You can come up front and center okay. and go right ahead. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Walden, happy birthday to you. Ah, uh, thank you. We're only two and a half hours early, but I'll take it anyway. Um, and me, it's already the fifth. That's right, you are, you have made it. Hello, Dale, you're on the air. Hi. This is John from, from Edgewood, Maryland. Hi, John. John from Edgewood, Maryland. How are you doing over there? Oh, we're doing fine. We've got a little rain right now, but everything's fine. Good. And it's it's, it's um, Hog Hog Brown was the middle initial. Oh, you are so good. How did you know that? That's a hard one. No, I I didn't think it was very hard. Well, it's another case of it's not hard if you know the answer. <laughs> well, that's, 
That was good. You get a gold star and some radio shows. Do I have an envelope here for you already? Do I owe you one? I think I do. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was uh, Hit Parade, Frank Sinatra. Oh, that's right. Okay, and I've got them coming. Uh, Larry Gassman is trying to get me on his site to uh, give me the Hit Parade. So I've got some coming for you, and I recall that you wanted the ones from the Frank Sinatra era. Yes, that would be my favorite era. I remembered, I remembered. Okay, well, as long as I am doing my homework in that department, I can put something else in your envelope as well. What do you think you'd like? It's an unusual request. Uh Oh, Oh, you folks always put me out on homework. Okay, what is it? Believe it or not, it's a Walter Winchell news broadcast in wartime. I used to like those things. Walter Winchell's wartime broadcast? Uh Wartime news, yeah. I don't think that should Love be. Love those. Oh. Should those, those should be available. There are some of those around, you bet. Yeah, I you, should be able to I, find I, that. I, I different uh, websites. I could never find any. All right. Now, now John, I, I want you to understand that if I say I didn't have any trouble finding this, that is not a signal for you to look for something even harder <laughs> for me, okay? I'm trying to make it hard for you. Yeah, I know. I know. I'll tell you what, you, um, not, not you, this, this is okay, I'll, I'll be able to do this fine, but I couldn't find the hit parade. Larry Gassman is bailing us out on the hit parade. Bless his heart, that's so nice of him to do that. But Fred in Vermont... Got plenty of time to wait. <laughs> well, Fred in Vermont is always sending me on some kind of a mission or other, and there are a couple of others. So you can, you can join that particular club and come up with some really unusual requests. I've got a pretty good re- track record, Walden, don't I? You do remarkably well, considering what people throw at you. I know. (laughs) I will find Walter Winchell one way or another. Now you have to tell us how you are doing, and are you safe in the weather that has been marching through? Yes, very very nice. It's a little thunderstorm now, but it's not too bad. And you you were up? Of course, here it's it's after mid. It's almost 1230 here Uh in the morning. And I had a hard time getting through to you tonight. Everybody was calling before me. I know. You want a Walter Winchell trivia question? Right. Guess how much he was making a, a minute doing that radio, a 15 minute radio show. Making a minute? A minute. Okay. That's my question to both of you. What was I'm, Walter Winchell making a minute? I'm sorry, uh, I'm out of this. Hold up. This is John's question. It's like $15,000. Correct. $1,000 a minute. $1,000 a minute, yes. I think, I think Patricia and I could split that. <laughs> A fifteen thousand a week. That was on be- I think you had that on before. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned that, but that's that's pretty amazing. I think I'm having apoplexy. <laughs> and that's been pretty. And that's in the forties, everybody. And we're at least as good as that. I know. I know. I remember when I was? I can remember back when I was working. I used to say, "Boy, if I ever made a hundred dollars a week, I'd have it made." <laughs> <laughs> if I ever made a hundred thousand a year, I would. $100 a week. A lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very, I'm not frugal. I'm just, live a simple lifestyle. That's what it is. I live a simple life. And I truly do. Very simple lifestyle. So tell me what your favorite shows are. My favorite shows are so many of them. I like Duffy's Tavern. Uh, Martin Graham's working on a brand, uh, a book that's going to be coming out later this year on Duffy's Tavern, the history of Duffy's Tavern radio show. 
Yeah, I used to like his show, and mm -hmm. I liked uh, Life of Raleigh. Now, I think... Called Raleigh the, when it was called Raleigh the Riveter. Raleigh the Riveter. All right. Um, I had... Do you, do you have... I know you've got a, a large collection. I recall that you have. Do you have Duffy's Tavern in your collection? I know I don't. <laughs> you do not? No. Is that what you said? Okay, well, I'll send you some Duffy's Tavern, too. Well, that would be fine. That'd be great. I would love to be able to do that. Okay. I will go on my hunt for Walter Winchell, and I'll make sure that you get Duffy's Tavern as well. That's a pretty good show. I, it took me a while to warm up to it. But it, the more I listen to it, the more fun it gets for me. Well, you have to see um, Archie's, Arch Ed Gardner's Broken English. Oh, I know. Oh, he is so fractured. You know, he was almost a front runner. I asked Walden what he thinks of this as well. It's his fractured language, not his attitude, but his fractured language was a precursor to Archie Bunker, the way he would correct. mess up his words. What do you think? I think I think you're correct. And his attitude. In uh, the uh, Amos and Andy used to do the same thing. Oh my God! I was disgusted. Oh, my goodness, yes. They they were, especially the kingfish. He was a master. He was a master at that kind of stuff. When I was a little kid, I, I kind of didn't understand that show. My father and mother would listen to that, and I would have to listen to because we only had one radio. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, I, I had a hard time understanding it when I was a little kid. And as I grew older, I kind of understood it. Yeah. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense because they really were adult situations with adult twists and turns. You know, the yeah. kingfish being a wheeler-dealer. A kid wouldn't understand what a wheeler-dealer was doing, so that's not a sense. They would be laughing, and I wonder what they were laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> There's something funny in here, but I, I don't know quite where it is. No, I, I yeah. understand that. When, when you were a kid, did you get to listen to shows that you liked? Oh, sure. Which ones? Well, I, I liked Blondie and Dagwood. Oh, Jimbo loved to hear that. I was a little kid now, you know. <laughs> I liked all the kids' shows. All the serials. Uh-huh. liked all of those. Superman and The Lone Ranger? Oh, yeah. What about uh, um, the Quiz Kids? Were the Quiz Kids on when you were listening? Yeah. Was that one that you would listen to? Yeah, mm -hmm. $64 question at all of those. That's interesting. I never asked, and Walden, you and I never talked about it either. The quiz kids were, they answered very adult questions. I mean, the, the knowledge base of these kids was just staggering. And I never even considered asking what the appeal of those kids to the average listening audience would be. Well, I the think, average kid love them. I think, I think they, they drafted off the popularity of Information Please, which started three years earlier. Right. And that became a hit. And, and that part I understand. And so it must have appealed to the same uh, audience base. That so would it, I guess my, I didn't really ask my, my question correctly, but I think you're answering it anyway. Mm -hmm. It was kids on a show that appeal to adults. Right. And 
But, John, you're telling me that you listened to it when you were a kid, so it appealed to you as well. Mm -hmm. What was there about the show? I mean, these kids were hot shots. I mean, they knew things that the scientists... I thought I learned something. Ah, how interesting. Yeah, I thought I learned something. What about your friends? Did your friends listen to it, too? I, I listened to information, please. <laughs> All the shows. We'll read them down. I even listened to Pace to be ignorant. <laughs> Uh, you know, that, I, I have to tell you, there are so many people who think that show is at the top of the humor list, and I cringe when I hear it. That's one of, that's one of Frank Brzee's favorite shows. I remember you said that. Yeah. Where is it on your list? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, it's near the bottom. <laughs> near the bottom. Walden, how about you? I don't have hardly any of them in my collection, so. Well, that's... The one that... I'll tell you one that I didn't really care much for. Mm -hmm. That was Abbott and Costello. Yeah, that's interesting. I wanted they work better on t in the movies, because they were so popular in yeah. the movies. Well, a lot I, of the stuff that they did was so visual, mm -hmm. so I can I can go along with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought their show was really corny. I really did. I, <laughs> I didn't like but either, John. That was my opinion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it either. But we won't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> it's not that I don't like it. I just don't listen to it. How's that? Well, you know why? I think it, it draws into the vaudeville roots. And I don't think a lot of us today's listeners mm -hmm. adapt or, or understand the vaudevillian appeal. Right. It is not traditional comedy yeah. on radio. It was vaudeville on radio. You're absolutely right. We had a lot of vaudevillians who went to radio, but they stayed vaudevillians on radio. That's interesting. Well, and also they made the switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bones and Allen were vaudevillians, but they made the switch to a situation yes. comedy. Jack Benny. Jack made the Benny. Bob yeah. Hope made the switch. But they all made the switch over. Huh? But not Abbott and Costello. One thing that uh, when you listen to Abbott and Costello was that Bud Abbott, now it was live radio, correct? Mm -hmm, correct. And he made a lot of flubs. Oh. I called them flubs. But in the movies, he, they would say cut and redo it, cut and redo it. But on the radio, he made a lot of fluff. Well, you know who else made a lot of fluff and people tuned in to her show just to hear him? Was Lowell Parson. No. She was notorious never to get it correct, and partly her announcer, Marvin Miller, said with her, her dentures. And when, they, when, they, when people were so disappointed when they started transcribing her show. Oh. <laughs> and they cut out all the mistakes. <laughs> they cut out the good part. Yeah, and she used, and Marvin Miller said, she used to make, she used to listen to Walter Winchell. In other words, the way it was on Sunday night, Winchell was first and then Noel Parson. Uh -huh. And she would listen to uh, Winchell just to see if he, if he was going to live up to the agreement. They had a gentleman agreement that he would not, Scoop her if it was a true Hollywood story. Ah, oh, uh, but but she, Marvin said, but when she got close to a story, you could you could see the said, you you're not gonna do it, you're not gonna do it, you're not. no, he did it. You know, he would scoop her, and he would have to basically rewrite that story out and put another one in just before the live broadcast. I was just going to say I cannot imagine Walter Winchell keeping his mouth shut. <laughs> anything. I mean, it's so out of character. He wouldn't do that. 
one show South America. One show you should tell um the way he uh had that he had that delivery, I think about hundred and forty words a minute. Right, and, yeah. and the way he did it, two things. He did not go to the bathroom. He would make sure he carried he, he made sure uh he had that extra edge. Uh and also he was the one controlling that little that, that dot and dashes. That was not the sound effect guy. That was key. Yes. Little beep beep beep. And that was when so doing that himself. So at those two things That wasn't edge, that was urgency. Yeah. <laughs> When you have to go to the bathroom, no matter how fast you talk, 15 minutes is 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah. That's how Winchell did his stuff. That's how he got the, the sound in his voice. Uh-huh. Really interesting. Very interesting. Well, John, I am really impressed that you knew the answer to my Amos and Andy question. I mean, I am really impressed. you done good. So I will look for your Walter Winchell. I will make sure that you get Duffy's Tavern, and we're working we'll on your hip parade. Again. Yes, and we're working on your hip parade. So you're going to get it all. Yeah, you're going to get a fat, and we're going to need a U-Haul to get your goodies to you. <laughs> I, I don't. I'll let you, I'll let you two go because there's probably calls, and I don't want to hog the air. Well, you are so nice for calling in, and I'm glad you did, and. Um, Thank you for my next assignment of looking for Walter Winchell. We'll put okay. You, we'll put you in the club with Fred. He sends me out for strange things. All right. Well, I'll let you go. So. Good night, John. Oh, no, no, it's, I'm, I'm joshing you. It's not a problem at all, and I'll, I'll be happy when I find them because I don't have any in my files yet. All right. Nice for me. You have a good night, John. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. The hotline. We are up and baking goodies. Serving them here on Yesterday USA. Patricia and I man the uh, the John Down story every Saturday night. And we'll ever have you give us a call. Well, I jotted down some stuff. All right. Okay. Well, here it is June fifth. It's not June fifth out there yet, but uh-huh. you're gonna get whole lot out of this birthday because it's marching across the country now. So Sunday is Walden's birthday. And I found, we, we talk about this periodically, that June 5th does not have a plethora of famous people. Yep. You, you kind of have a corner on June 5th. There aren't a whole lot of them, right? No, I, I know one famous person. Yeah, me too. But I forget, was it Gene Autry or... or um, the other one. It's uh, William, Bill, William Boyd? William Boyd, yeah. I was close. You were really close. Oh, boy. And I didn't, I couldn't find that either. Yeah. Well, here are some that I think you will enjoy. Okay. There are 40 Major League baseball players who were born on June 5th. No kidding. Okay. No kidding. I mean, and they're from all over the, the, the map. I yeah. mean, some of them were in the 1800s. But among them are Dave Odom. Okay. Bill Spears. Okay. Jason Green. Okay. Paul Siebert. Okay. Mark Schaefer. Huh. Okay. Is that pretty cool? Very nice. So you've got 40 baseball players. All right. And, <coughs> excuse me, we're in the important stuff here. Mm-hmm. This is all Walden's birthday, and we're going to get to the theme and stump Walden in a minute. <laughs> it is hot air balloon day. Oh, I like that. Isn't that fun? I like that. That's a and good thing. And it's World Environment Day. But I like hot air. I take my hot air balloon. Yeah. 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 And I, I've got some um, astrological stuff. Gemini born on June fifth. Mm-hmm. 
They believe in the natural goodness of the world around them. Hmm. How about that? Hmm. I think that's you. I don't know. Oh. I, 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 think, I think the world has an evil nature about it, but that doesn't disturb me. Well, the natural goodness of the world around you, I think you're in there. Aww. Goodness. I mean, it's, it's not like the whole world is good. No. But you appreciate the natural goodness of the world. Yes, I do. They are more than optimistic. Yes. They are altruistic. Yeah. That's you. Thank you. They draw their inspiration from everyday miracles. Yeah, me. Good. Yeah. And they often exhibit a take charge attitude. Yeah, that's sure of me. <laughs> Give me an assignment and I'll get it done in two minutes. That's your wall of shoes. Yeah. Heaven help you. Yes. <laughs> Do I do not procrastinate anybody. You give me a sign and I'll get say, okay. Do this or else. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's see. Now, I didn't read these um, word for word. Oh. This is, doesn't <laughs> match. Hello there. You're on the air. Thanks for giving us a call. Hi, this is Dennis. Hi, Dennis. How you doing? Not too bad. Well, good. I just had one question for you guys. Right, row um, this question is a really serious thing here. Oh, see here. Um, should we sit down and hear this? Is this going to be sitting down. <laughs> ready. I'm ready. All right. I'm ready. Well, you know, I listen to shows and only for a short time compared to you guys. And did John Wayne ever do any radio? I've never heard anything from uh -huh. him. He did. He did. Uh, he did some of the Lux Radio Theater and some of the Screen Director's Playhouse. Um, he did. Screen Director Playhouse did a great series um, in in 1949 to 51, and he did the opening one called Coach from January 9th, 1949. And, and he, he, trans he transferred from other genres over to radio, like um, from movie. He he was not. He didn't begin on radio and move. Over. Mm -mm. He just—he was just strictly a movie star. Actually, he was a college football player. Well, I, I knew his name was Marion. Too. Yes. I knew, yeah. Are you proud of me? You're, I knew his name. You're was so Marianne. good, and, and 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 both you know, I I live here in John Wayne Country. This is where John um retired to and lives here in my neck of the woods. So this is. John Wayne territory. So we. I guess what I was asking is yeah. that he was not a radio personality. He nope. was a movie star who did some radio. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, he did. He did a ton of movies, but I was just wondering. He Red never Red did a series or anything. Nope. Red River. Uh, he did Down Lux. Nope. He never did a series. Never did. Kind of surprising because it seems like most of them, you know, yeah. at least one thing. Pointage? You know, like Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart and Humphrey Bogart. Right. Yeah, a lot of them did, but maybe John was so busy with the movie, he didn't have room to fit it in. You know, eventually, he, we, you know, we lost James Arness uh, yesterday. That's right. And, oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, and I, I had a chance to interview him twice. And uh, he was signed by John Wayne. He was, he was John Wayne assigned him under a personal contract and they wanted John Wayne to play Matt Dillon in the TV version Gunsmoke and he turned it hey. down and he recommended James Arness. And that, and, but he, if you watch the first episode of Gunsmoke, that's John Wayne introducing this young guy, a good friend of mine, James Arness. You know, I think I've seen every Gunsmoke there was, but you just proved me wrong. Uh-oh. 
Because well, I guess I never saw the first episode. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> or didn't, you didn't recognize what was happening, and you'll remember it when you go back and see it again. Okay. Maybe, maybe so. I was probably pretty little then. Mm. Pretty little, yeah. I've, I've got a great disappointment here. I pulled some information about an expression that I knew about, and I can't find it. <laughs> Somewhere, but I can't find it. So what did you come up with? You have to get me, bail me out here. Uh-oh. Help. I'm, I'm lost. I'm not sure what you're talking no, about. No expressions. Never mind. I thought Patricia figured she was going to be in the doghouse and I had to look up another expression word or phrase or... Uh, we'll find one. Phrase or I something. did have one and I'm so disappointed that, uh, especially because it was one I knew. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> one I had to look up. I just looked it up to confirm it. Uh, okay, so I have to come up with two for next week. Are you in the market for a question? Mm. You're always so... I just wanted to say something else. Uh -oh. Happy birthday, Walden. Thank you, Dennis. Very Thank you. Is your, is your age a secret, too? Nope, nope, my age is not. I, I'm 45 tomorrow. Born at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And... You're such a baby. I know. Thank you. Yeah, I'm the... Uh, born at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and... Uh, How much did you weigh when you were born? 9 pounds and 3 ounces. Nine, How much? Yeah, 9 pounds and 3 quarters. Well, you little pudgy. Yeah, yeah. My brother was nine and a quarter. Wow. Yeah. That was ten pounds, nine ounces. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And I was a nine-month baby. My mom's doctor did not believe in inducing labor. Wow. So I got I got to live the good life an extra month. <laughs> so you were a ten-month baby. Wow. I, I don't, I, I was just seven pounds something or other, you know, just a plain, plain old chain stuff. Not anything special like you guys. Well, you know, it makes you wonder if a female, a woman carries, for, she carries her kid to 10 months, can you imagine her hormones for the last, she must be perpetually tired. Well, there, there are also some additional risks to the baby because mm -hmm. the nutrition system and the placenta starts to uh, deteriorate mm -hmm. and the nutrition starts to deteriorate and the oxygen starts to right. deteriorate. So. I'm sorry. She spent, like, I guess the last three weeks just in the hospital with them watching her mm -hmm. and waiting. Wow. And the doctor was about to, like, do what he didn't believe in, which mm -hmm. was just yeah. started artificially. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. He was going to pick her up and shake her. <laughs> hey, willikers. Oh, your poor mom. You were, <laughs> you were a lot of baby. You make the beautiful baby. Well, yeah, you, you were a big bundle. All right, I have a question for you. And I still ha I have an envelope here for you so I can put something else.